Unmistakable evidence has established the fact he is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds. Welcome to the Truth 316 Podcast, the place that we honor that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Our prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Welcome to our first podcast here with Thad as a teacher without a class. So we are doing something a little bit different right now and this is very uncomfortable for me to not have any interaction with people but uh, I've been studying and continuing in my studies and have prepared a lesson. It just is kind of a way that I like to uh, go about in my studies. It helps me to to dig a little deeper and search for answers that may or may not uh, pop up. So as you can see, and as I'm sure the uh, title here has prompted, who are the whoever whom believe? And the subtitle here is the consistency of the Apostle John. And I know exactly what you're thinking. We're going to be focusing on John 3.16, and uh, you really wouldn't be too far off. But although John 3.16, the most popular Bible verse ever, uh, we will look at that. We are actually going to focus our attention on John's first epistle because it is here that we can attain another perspective of this group of people who are considered as true believers. Uh, so we'll be looking at 1 John 5 verse 1 as our primary text. So let's go ahead and open with a quick word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time together and we thank you for this opportunity to get together to study in your word once again. And although we're apart and kind of lockdown mode, uh, we can be together in spirit. And you have promised us that uh, you are there with open ears as we seek out your truth. And we pray that your spirit would come upon this time as we go in this study, that you would lead us and direct us uh, in your truths as you would have us to know it. Make any corrections as necessary in this teaching and those that would hear. If there's any errors, uh, let them be brought to our attention and help us to be humble and looking for truth in all of its ways uh, according to your purpose. Now, we thank you once again in Jesus' name. All right, so like I said, we're in 1 John 5, 1, and uh, we're going to find ourselves here in the fifth chapter. It's the last chapter of John's first letter. It's a letter that begins with a description of Jesus Christ as the eternal second person of the Trinity, uh, then it segues into the characteristics of the believer and the fellowship within the body of believers. Uh, John here affectionately calls his readers beloved and little children. He calls them beloved because they proclaim Jesus as the Messiah, and so within the brethren they're beloved. And he also calls them little children because many of them are very new to the faith. That means they're young in the faith. They're a child in the doctrine. Uh, now, what we notice is that although they are children in the faith, John expects them to understand adult instruction 
In other words, just because one is new to the faith, there is no reason to dumb down the message, or even worse, to soften the message. You know, this message comes to us, Jesus says, as a double-edged sword. You know, it's the double-edged sword of his word, and we got to let God pierce through according to his message and his words. These are black and white truths, so we don't have to soften it, and we for sure uh, must be careful to give it uh, to people in its plain ways. So... We're not permitted here to allow for gray areas. So let's go ahead and take a look here at the very first um, verse that we'll be studying tonight. It's our primary verse, and it says such. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. Uh, this is from the uh, NASB version, which is a quite a literal translation, and sometimes it reads a little bit funny but it's because it's a quite a literal translation but here it just says again whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God so we see rebirth being brought here the rebirth of regeneration spiritual birth and whoever loves the father loves the child born of him so you're going to immediately see here the overtones of God of chapter 13 in John's gospel whoever believes in the born again principles uh, there are actually several other linguistic echoes here that will become apparent as we work through this study. So let's read it one more time and then we'll begin to exegete the text. And to exegete simply means to break it down um, and investigate the language in its context. Uh, we want to remember that in all cases here, context is king. Remember the three principles that I say um, often in class are the most important for us is context, context, and then context. So again, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. We see here it's uh, whoever believes and then whoever loves. And so we have this word here jumping right out at us, that whoever word that we see often. And we think uh, sometimes people will say whosoever, uh, which isn't very proper to say, actually, but uh, whoever. And what does that really mean, that whoever? Let's take a look at the original Greek and see if that can help us. So uh, at the bottom there, you see whoever and believes, and then below it is the Greek uh, script. And below the Greek is, for each word, is the transliteration. So the transliteration is just the way that we would pronounce these words with our English writing. And so we see whoever is the Greek word pas, and believes is hopistion. And pas, it seems like a pretty short word, but what it really means, or so it's pas, hopistion. So there's a little um, article there, a direct article, hopistion means the one that believes. Pas is a word we say whoever in this case, but sometimes it says everyone. And it is a word that really means every, or every single, or all, or the whole, or anyone. So anyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, or all that believe that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So we want to remember that this word, whoever, is really speaking of a specific group. It's all that believe here in this particular case. Hopistion. Pistion, you might recognize uh, pistion as a very close translation that we use in believe instead of believe we sometimes say faith like pistis 
is the um, root word for this, and that is faith translated. And so believe and faith are actually interchangeable in this case. So whoever faiths is this same application, the person that has faith that Jesus Christ is born of God and the one that loves the father loves the child born of him. So let's take a, a look at this and see what the connection is. Um, who is the one that believes? Who is the one that loves Christ? And who is the one that loves the Father? So I wrote this little more literally here for us on the next slide. It says, whoever believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God or everyone or the one believing that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So here it states it a little bit differently when we when we change it around with the article. So if you see that again in the Greek on the right there for believes, you see hopistion, it's got a direct article. So it's the believer or the one with faith. It's it's a direct point of belief. So it's whoever is the believing one or everyone that is believing, all that are believing that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So this, uh, of course, reiterates, again, like I said, the topic of John 3, uh, for those who possess eternal life. It is identical um, in its structure, their pas hopistion, the one that's believing has eternal life. And why is this? In both the gospel and in this first epistle of John, it's because of the rebirth, that is, to be born again in John 3.16, um, the one that's born of God. Here we may uh, think that it's kind of backwards. Many of us have learned over the years that the rebirth is the effect of the one that believes. But it's actually the fact that the rebirth is the cause of the one that believes. Uh, the Reformed, or our Reformed view, that's uh, those of us that the Evangelical Presbyterian Church is a reformed body of believers. Uh, sometimes that'll be specified as a Calvinistic way of believing, but it's really quite a most consistent way of reading the text. So the reformed and consistent way of this view says that it's those who are born of God, these are the ones believing. So let's examine this a little bit closer just to make sure that I I'm not forcing this upon you. We want to make sure that this is what it says and why it is saying it. And so we want to make sure that it says it in this location and has to be consistent in the rest of the scriptures, right? Um, so let's go ahead and examine uh, the Greek in the first part. Um, is born of God here. So first off, I want you to be thinking of your physical birth. Who was responsible for that? Did you exercise your will in your own birth? No, of course not. Parents and ultimately God are your first cause, right? God is always the first cause. He's always previous in all things. I've heard it said um, that before, now that I've mentioned it, that God is always previous. Um, but I think that falls a little bit short. Um, just as if he is the author, but not the sustainer or the finisher. So he's previous in, in that manner, and I don't like that because we know that he's not only the author of all things, but he's also the sustainer of our universe, sustainer of life. And he also finishes, right? He completely brings things to completion, including our faith. So now let's take a look at this uh, born of God portion. In the next slide here, we just see um, is born of God, and then we ha again have it broken down in the Greek. Again, we have it uh, below each word, in this case, it's born of God, and then we see the Greek, and then we see again the transliteration 
below all of that. The Greek is shown uh, with the transliteration at the very bottom. Okay, so that's, again, that's the way that we pronounce it in English. Now, you will notice here, um, I left it alone, but you'll see numbers that follow each Greek word. So that middle roll there, you'll see the numbers that follow each one of the Greek words. Um, this is the order that they would be written in originally. So it actually would be, if you see... Um, born has the 12 after it and then of or ek has a nine so nine is actually the first word in this in this greek sentence they they moved it around so we can understand it in english but they they leave it in its form or they leave the numbers there so you can tell how that greek was originally written but it's basically like saying of god and again we have the article before theo again theo you guys have heard that before is uh, the greek word for god theos and that's just the article so of the god um born that's what that literally would say that's how that would literally read in the greek of god born it's the most literal reading that that we can come up with here so now let's take a work uh or take a look at the phrase is born so we're going to narrow this down here it's it's the word that i can't pronounce but the uh greek word here for the root word correct pronunciation of this and and born um, has the root of you now the g is kind of a soft sound it's you now you now and it means to beget or to bring forth to produce or to be the father of and then we see it in its uh, uh full form there here as yinite i think the um first g is also has that soft sound to it but it's yinite and although you see the um e over has the um, line over it where we would normally pronounce that in English with a uh, a long e sound. It's just the opposite in Greek. Uh, Greek actually the e has the a sound. So if anybody has a, a Spanish or a Latin um, language background, you know that the e is pronounced with a long a sound. So it's yinite, Uh So perhaps quite literally, um, as it is written here, it's of God begotten, right? So remember that root means it means to beget or to bring forth, or quite literally here, of God begotten. When we read this, is born of God, we're really thinking begotten of God or of God begotten. Uh, so just note here, so the correct thinking is not that one believes and then that they are born of God. That does not make logical sense, right? Just for the same reason that we don't, think about becoming a baby and are born of our parents right we need a progenitor we need the one that begins the whole thing and in this case that's god god is the one that begets or the father um, begets and then once you're beget then you're a believer so it begins in that sense so far now we've only looked at this verse in isolation so we have to see how it really fits in the rest of the context and how it might be considered elsewhere uh, so let's go back to the Gospel of John here and let's take a look at this. Uh, my statement um, is that the way that the sentence is properly interpreted is as follows. The ones believing are those who are begotten of God, right? We'll come back to the uh, context in a second. But first, let's take a look at some supporting verses that emphasize the cause and effect or the order of rebirth. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, this is well before John gives us Nicodemus' account with Jesus, we are told here about uh, who's responsible for spiritual rebirth. 
in uh, verses 11 through 13, it says, and you're very familiar with this verse about Jesus, says that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, right? It's a very familiar verse for us. But you say, when you look at this, but the second line there, but to all who did receive him, to who, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So you might be thinking, okay, see, there it is. You know, th those who receive are those who believe. They have been given the right to become the children of God, right? It has to do with the one that exercises belief. So basically what some would say, it's the one who has his own will to believe. Those are the ones that are born again. But we have to read it. We have to keep on reading uh, here in context to make sure this is what it says because we're, we're saying in the previous verse that the ones that believe are the ones that are, are born again of God, right? So we're saying God begets that person believes, and here it looks like at first blush that it might be saying that it's those um, who believe create the cause of rebirth. But let's see here. On the next slide, it says, those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Yeah, we're talking about being born again here, right? These are people that are born again. And it says, hear that they have the right to become the children of God and who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, so it's not speaking of man's will who creates uh, the born again process, but those who are born of God. So that's exactly what we've been saying. So let's take a look at this, um, break it down a little bit. They're born not of blood. So when it says not of blood, you might be thinking of a physical birth, but it's really not. It's more of a bloodline thing. It's a, it's the one of heritage or descent. Uh, the Jews would have been thinking about this along these lines, right? As being children of Abraham, they're thinking about their bloodline as Jews. But then the next line says, uh, or nor is it the will of the flesh. You got to remember our flesh profits nothing. No good can come from anything that we produce in and of ourselves. But also here, the will of the flesh might be talking about uh, physical sex can't produce it. You know, there's physical sex might produce uh, a physical baby, but it doesn't produce a spiritual rebirth. And then it says not of the will of man. Well, that pretty much settles it. If it's not of man's will, it's got to be what? The following. It's got to be the will of God, right? So it's not... Uh, of man's will. That is the one um, who can will on their own to believe. So here again, we have all that believe. Whoever that does believe is begotten of God. That's the correct order. You have to be begotten of God and then believe. This is consistent with our original verse. The father does the begetting, right? According to the, the literal Greek, he's the one that begets. So let's go on to the John 3 section here. And this is where it is. Uh, Jesus is answering Nicodemus. And Jesus says, uh, Jesus answered him and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, I think that it's interesting to note here that Jesus is kind of answering a question that Nicodemus never asks. If you look back at a verse there, it says Nicodemus uh, simply states, and I don't have this in the um, presentation here, but Nicodemus just basically states, 
Lord, we know that you are a teacher from God, right? For nobody can do these things unless he was sent down from from God. And Jesus wallops him upside his theological head with this comeback. And he says, truly, truly, right? He has that emphasis. The truly is in the Greek, amen or amen. So he's, it's usually something that comes as a form of a response. You know, somebody says something that's true and you say, amen, right? We do it in church all the time. But Jesus, uh, knowing that he's fully truthful, says, says it right out of the gate. Amen, amen, or truly, truly, or verily, verily. So it's like, listen up. It adds emphasis, and you see it in duplicity there. So what is the condition that's going to be stated here? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, right? Unless one is born again, he cannot see. You can't even see the kingdom unless you're born again, right? So you have to be uh, looking at this. In, in, in those in those eyes there that frame of thinking what does it take to see the kingdom of God you have to be born again right and the one that's born again actually the, the literal interpre- interpretation is not born again but born from above or born from on high that's what the Greek actually uh, reads like so either an or both is okay to be born again um, speaking in spiritual matters is true but born from a from above that helps us uh as well when we think about the father begetting us so again what is the condition born from above or begotten from above first and then we can see the kingdom of god right john in the, in the sixth chapter here will also speak towards one's inability to to do this right john says no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. That's verse 44. Again, let's read it one more time. So no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come. What does can mean? Well, it means able. No one is able, right? It speaks towards ability. No one is able to come to me unless what? The Father draws them, right? He has to be drawn from the Father and then... If he's effectually drawn, he will come. So that's what that says. And then it says, I will raise him up on the last day. Notice that's the father that draws that person. Now, you know, I was born into the Catholic Church and then I became a Protestant. And when I did that, I uh, attended the Nazarene Church for quite some time, which has kind of an Arminian faith. But it'd be very often to hear from the pulpit that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me woos him. They say the word draw there is kind of like a wooing thing where you see the wooing of the Spirit, the wooing of the Father saying, come on, you know, he's, he's, he's encouraging you by his draw, drawing. The drawing is the, the wooing. So, you know, you always take it for as heart. Um, you take it to heart what the pastor is teaching in the, in the day. Uh, and never once did I ever think to look that up. I always kind of thought the drawing and or the wooing are, are equivalent. But let's take a look here to see if wooing is um, is part of the Greek word, if it's a possibility to be um, used as a translation for the Greek word that's translated here as draw. No one draws them. So here's the Greek uh, here's the Greek word at the bottom, draws, and it's the root word here is helcule, helcule. And it means the following. These are the, that's the root word, by the way, Helcua here. It's 
helcuse. The, the Y actually has a U sound, helcuse. Um, and it literally means to draw, to drag, to drag away, to haul, to lead by force, or sometimes to seize. Um, there's nowhere in here that it gives indication of any type of wooing or just a, a verbal encouragement or spiritual encouragement or, or, or that type of thing. So I actually uh, took my first verse here coming up is the Greek use of the Old Testament that's found in the, the Septuagint, which was uh, when they translated uh, the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek 250 or so years before Christ. And it was put together, and so when, as Greek became a popular language, it was translated into that, and it was, I think it was 70 guys, and that's where they come up with the, the Septuagint, which is uh, means 70. And let's take a look at Jeremiah 38, 13. Um, we're looking again specifically at this Hercule uh, Greek word, which we're using here to draw. It says, Then they drew Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the cistern, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. So what did they do? They drew Jeremiah up with ropes. That's the Greek word helkuo that they use there. It's a it's a physical action. It's a force. Now, you know, just for the heck of it, I was thinking, you know, do you think any pastor would ever interpret this word uh, woo in their sermon? And then they wooed Jeremiah up and lifted him up out of the cistern. No, it's like, come on, Jeremiah, come on. You can do it. You know, that's that would be kind of wooing. No, they lifted him up with ropes. They drew him up with ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. And so that's the proper use of that word. So it was the only one that I found in the Old Testament uh, there. But uh, here we have several other options or verses to look at in the New Testament for the same Greek word. Let's take a look and see if we can find it here in John 21, 11. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. So which word do we think this is? Yeah, you're correct. It's hauled. They hauled the net. So this is the Greek word helkuo, or the root of it there. Um, you can see it's a, it's a very physical type of hauling. It takes It's a, quite a force that is moving something. Let's take um, the next verse here in Acts 16, 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So which word do you think it's here? Seized? No, actually, I, I did say seized earlier. It's possibly one of its options, but for the word seized here, they actually used um, a different word, which means to grab. Um, but it's actually the word dragged. They dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Now, again, you can see this is a physical action. They they grabbed them and they dragged them, right? They didn't uh, they didn't seize them and then then woo them into the marketplace. No, it's it's by force. Uh, let's take a look at uh, at one more here in uh, John eighteen, familiar verse for us. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Well, there it is again. He drew the sword. He by force drew it right it didn't drew, you know woo the sword out and and then magically cut the high priest's ear off it is a physical drawing okay so that's the biblical uses of it god draws people he forcefully pulls that which belongs to him unto himself it's a it's a spiritual action, but it's by force, right? It's it, If it was just a wooing, we could see that it fails. But here, 
let's go back and take our look at John 6, uh, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, this is true because if we, if we know ourselves before we're redeemed, uh, we don't want anything to do with God, right? The scriptures say that we are enemies of God. We hate God. We hate his law, right? And uh, so we're not going to have anything to do with him unless we have a heart change. And so it, it takes the Father to draw us, and then we respond when we are freed through that drawing or through the conversion process. So what's the result of the Father's drawing? This is the other thing. There, um, this is actually a... Um, a big point that is going to be made here the if we leave it as just a wooing of the spirit we know that same type of preaching is is talking that all people are drawn by the father right he's wooing everybody to himself right but does everybody come to god no we know the answer to that is no but look at the uh, second sentence here what happens to the ones that the father draws and I will raise him up on the last day. There's a conclusion here of the ones that the Father draws, that Jesus is going to raise them up on the last day, right? Do you think anybody's going to slip through the fingers here? No, right? If they're enabled by the Father, then Jesus raises them up. That's what that verse says. Let's see if that's true. Let's keep on trucking here. Um, and John, we're going to, let's drop back a few verses, right? So if we uh, just take a look at this, this is verse 44. We're going to drop back a few verses to, to 37. Let's look at the first section of this here. It's going to say it basically the same way, but it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. So how many come? The first word there, all. we got to be careful how we read all, though. It's got to be taken in its context and with the limits provided, right? Because all doesn't always mean everybody in the whole world, right? It's going to have restrictions that are put on it. So do we have a qualifier in this sentence? Yes, we do. It's all that the Father gives. So the qualifier of the all is all that the Father gives. So there's a, a group. It's not everybody in the entire world. It's all that the Father gives will come to me. And will they come? Uh, well, yes, they do. Um, is there any group of people that the Father gives that don't come? Absolutely not. But are there those that refuse to come? Yes, they are the one that the Father does not give to the Son. This is um, particular redemption here that we're that we're we're seeing in action. So let's go ahead and take a look at the next line. It says, "And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out." So what does this phrase infer? It means that all that those who are given of the Father are they ever lost? No, right? This is uh, what we call the perseverance of the saints or the perseverance of faith right? Uh, faith, like I said, is parallel to what word? Believe, right? The perseverance of belief, but faith is a, is a gift of God, right? So we see that it's actually the perseverance of, of faith is better because if it's just based on the saints, we wouldn't persevere in of ourselves if, if it wasn't uh, granted to us by God. Okay, let's take a look at the next portion there. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So I've got some ellipses there that uh, break the sentences up just to keep everything going, but it's not taken out of context. If you do ellipses to change your context, then you know you would be shamed for that, of course, but this is uh, still in context. It's just to fit in what our main subject is here. So let's take a look at all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So here we have a view of the sovereign will of the Father. Right? We don't often see or have the information of the sovereign will of the Father. We, we sometimes see his prescriptive will, uh, which is like the, to keep the Ten Commandments. Those are things that he prescribes to us. But does everybody keep thou shalt not lie? No. In fact, we all break that. But is it the will of the Father? Yeah, but it's a different type of will. But here we see the sovereign will. This is something that uh, will, in fact, and sovereignly happen. And it says, the sovereign will is what? that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me. This is very specific, and it's irrevocable, or irrevocable as some people pronounce it. Um, but the question is, what is the end result of this group? That they will be raised up on the last day, right? We have here a different angle of the golden chain of redemption. You know, when you look at Romans 28, uh, foreknowing, predestined, called, justified, glorified, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. We see that same process here in a, in a kind of a different sense, right? The Father gives, and they will come. And whoever comes, I don't cast out. And then it goes on, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So it's reiterated again and again, and it's raised up on the last day. The Father gives, they come. Jesus doesn't deny this and or deny them from coming. He accepts them. And then, of course, he never casts them out and he raises them up on the last day. So in just, just in case we need, need it said in terms of faith, let's take a look at the, uh, the next statement here. Uh, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise them I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, so the question is whose will again? The father's. Uh-oh, but now look what it says. This is where people are going to say, "See, it's all based on those who choose for themselves to believe or not, right?" Cuz you see that right there. Everyone who looks on the sun and believes. Well, but wait. This is where we're obligated to hold to the context. Again, who are those who believe? Those are the ones that are given of the Father, right? They're given of the Father. They truly believe. They truly faith, right? Faith is a gift of God. They truly believe. And the Son surely accepts and raises them up. There are no breaking points here. Again, if you say that it's based on the person's faith, yeah, you got to remember that faith equals believing, right? And we just settled who they are and how they come to be believers, right? We looked at that. Um, in the very first uh, verse that we looked upon here. By the way, uh, the Jews did not like to hear this either, right? They counted themselves in the bloodline, right? They're Abraham's children as God's chosen people. So let's take a look. What do you think uh, the Jews' response was? The Jews grumbled about him, right? And then Jesus answered them and said, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day, right? People are grumbling about this all. You can't say that, you know, that people can't believe, you know, on their own and stuff. And this is what the Jews were, were grumbling about too, right? Who do you think you are, right? We're Abraham's children. He says, Jesus says, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up 
on the last day, right? You have no right to grumble, Jesus says. The Father is sovereign, and he's perfect in all of his ways. Uh, now that we've settled this, let's go back to our original text um, that started this whole this whole thing. 1 John, this is his letter now, not in the gospel, but 1 John 5, verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. Now we see, um, as we keep the harmony and the consistency of the scripture, there can only be one primary cause, right? The, who, the whoever has already been defined to us, right? Who's the one that believes? Who's the one that loves the Father, right? They're the ones that are born of God. The Father begets, right? And we know that those are the same ones that the Father calls. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, right? So let's take a look at this one more time in the in the Greek just to make sure we lock it in. Whoever believes and whoever loves, right? The paschal pistion. All who believe or the believing one, right? It's the same as in the John 3.16 verse. We got to read it in that same light, right? Uh, everyone, all, the whole, the whole group that believes, right? What is this in connection with? It's it's the one who believes or the one who loves, right? They're the ones that are born of God. Well, this takes care of verse one in this chapter. Next time, I guess we'll try to tackle the next four verses and uh, we'll see how it goes. Appreciate y'all listening in here. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity again just to get together um, and, and hear your word. Pray that uh, we take it very seriously that we read it in context and that we remain consistent uh, and lord if there's anything that i bobbled along the way pray that you'll straighten it out um, but everybody has um, responsibilities here to do their own homework to read it for themselves to read it in context and to see if it's consistent within the other scriptures around it right be like the bereans who received all these hearings with joy but then they went out to prove to see if they were so we ask you, Lord, for a blessing for the rest of the week. In Jesus' name, amen.